Hey everybody, welcome back to I Only Date Monsters, the show where queer theory meets queer thirst. I'm a noted monster fucker, Lou. And I'm monster romantic, Hayden. Oh, I'm glad you're exploring the space. Mm. I just want to spend time together. You know, hold hands, or claws, or whatever. I mean, look, everyone wants to hold a hand. It's 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 innate. Mm. Be it a draconic hand, be it a slightly furry hand, be it a tank hand. Oh, a whole tank hand. A hand <laughs> of tank. So, Lou, how have you been? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, did I jump in too quick there? No, that's just about it. That's about how I've been. Just, uh, just uh, yeah, it's it's been fine. Not much has happened, mostly because we're only recording this two days after we recorded our last one. Yeah, I needed a day to sleep in between, but fair. Uh, so, I mean, not much life update for me. It's only been really one day since the last record, but. In that one day, I have decided to restart my gym routine, which I stopped after Gen Con for a little while, and life is pain. Because <laughs> you got just too filled up on board games. Well, you know, you go on you go on a vacation, specifically one that involves flying to a different place. Yes. And then you get back, and for me, my gym is at my workplace, so I definitely wasn't going to go there um on my recovery days and i just that's fair and when you're getting back into the swing of things and catching up on all of the the done work you're too stressed to go to the gym afterwards so now <laughs> now it's been almost a month and the vicious cycle repeats on forever yes i'm finally forcing myself to go again i'm trying to get as i only half jokingly say my orc bod but I do like how I I feel um, after I've been going for a little while. Yeah. It's... I, when I used to go to the gym, and I guess I should go back again at some point, uh, Like I, I like... Mm, that's a hard way to say that. I don't like being at the gym like at all. I like the results of the gym. <laughs> yes. I, I like, don't... I like... I do kind of like how I feel afterwards. I don't like being there because I feel stressed. Not that people are watching me. What the fuck? I don't care. But that people are going to rush me through my weights. And I'm just like, just let me fucking do it. You can work in. That's fine. But don't, like, stand there and, like, stare at me while I'm trying to do my really, like, not sexy looking thing. (laughs) Like, I know I've seen many a furry picture of a powerlifting situation. It is very hot in those places, but when you're actually doing it, the most unerotic thing. Yeah, it's definitely not it's definitely not a place I go to either see sexy things or feel sexy during. <laughs> I mean, uh I will see sexy things at the gym, but not like while they're doing some of the exercises. That's the thing, right? It's like I don't feel very good when I'm actually doing a squat, so don't stare at me. <laughs> right. Like, that's what it is. I I totally get that. 
Like, I am in a vulnerable position. Please don't make this worse. (laughs) Yeah, it's... I definitely would rather work out in, like, my own private space. And, you know, maybe one day I'll be able to afford a house with, like... I mean, of course what I want is a full villain lair in the basement. But failing that, a couple of weights... Don't we all... Don't we all want our sure. own full villain layer? Oh, God. Okay, you know what? This wasn't part of the program, but I want to ask you. Yes. What does your villain layer look like? Okay, so I've had this in mind for years. <laughs> Great. I talk have, to me. Talk to me. For, for as long as I've thought maybe one day I'll own a house, what I have wanted in that house is specifically I want, like, it doesn't have to be anything ostentatious, like, a one story, just a few bedrooms, it's probably fine. Um, I'm personally not planning on a big family, so <laughs> I don't need a lot of extra rooms, just like bedroom, you office. Mean, you mean you and Steve aren't gonna adopt a few puppies someday? We might we might adopt some rats. <laughs> what? I just love that you didn't go in the same direction of puppies that I did. Oh, oh, god damn it. <laughs> We've... Look. <laughs> A family can be two men and their puppies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, anyway. Anyways, your yeah, villain just layer. like... Normal, unostentatious. But I do want... A garage, and I want a rather large garage, and I want it to be separate from the house. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be accessible via underground tunnel. This is very important. Now, question number one. Why is this not all just below the house? Uh, what do you mean? Like, you want this separate gr- garage yes. that's accessible by a tunnel. Why not just put everything underground? Um, because Why not have the, your entire villain lair underground? The idea of being able to move between two separate buildings unseen is very appealing to me. <laughs> Fair. Okay. Um, oh, God. And I found this website a few years ago. I don't know if it's still operational, but there's like this company that specifically puts in secret passageways oh, in yeah, houses. I've seen, I've, I've seen that. Like, like uh, you can get doors that are bookshelves and stuff yeah not just like not just like safe room stuff but like legitimately you have to move a certain chess piece to a certain place on a chessboard, and, and like, that's just how you get into your bathroom yeah <laughs> i want that so bad um <coughs> but yeah a nice expansive underground area i always do that when i have the sims um you know as for as for kidding it out like Obviously a death ray. I don't know if that's obviously, but okay. Look. Look. We just... Well, you you know... <laughs> you know who does have a good villain lair is... uh. Um... No, the villain lair is fine. I'm just saying that, like, some of us don't want a death ray. Okay, that's fine. That is... That's, that's all. That's a totally fair choice. But again, what does this villain layer look like? 
I'm envisioning the tunnel between the two buildings and then a third one that splits off to a room that's just totally underground. And I, mm-hmm. I only need the one extra room. But I do want it sort of like as a separate way off. Oh, okay. I meant like aesthetically. Uh, I mean, I, I really like the sort of like the Spartan feel of like keeping some of that ground stone at the base level. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And then like a few maybe like granite countertops maybe you know i don't i don't want wood you don't want wood in your underground lair because that's a fire hazard uh, yeah and no i have read the list of 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 things a villain should do yes such as you know pay your workers a living wage and whatnot obviously uh I don't know if that's on there, but yeah, keep keep your underground layer layers inflammable. Yes. Um I do want some I do want some weapons just hanging up on display. Uh-huh. Um, not that I'd ever use or be competent in any of them, but you know, as as an aesthetic choice, I do like me a good blade. You know? Yeah. Um And of course, you know, the whole uh batman computer setup with the mini screens yes i'd I'd probably never make real real proper use of that but you just gotta love having like seven screens set up in in a basement layer um what would yours look like well um it would be versailles (laughs) okay uh i don't mean it would look like it. I mean, I would steal Versailles. Ambitious. I Ambitious. would Carmen San Diego that motherfucking shit, and I would put it on the big trash island. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's gonna be my villain lair. Okay. Because I'm going to make that into a livable space. <laughs> that seems so fitting for you. <laughs> but. I want Versailles, but then I want to retrofit it with tons of other like secret passages and shit. Oh yeah, I like, mean you can't have I'm the not gonna standard keep... secret passages. I'm taking Versailles. I'll keep some of the aesthetic, but also I don't care about history that much. And also Versailles, as pretty as it is, is a is a status symbol of of the ruling class. And fuck that, I'll graffiti that shit if I want to. <laughs> yes, perfect. Don't get rid of history remix it and remove it from the powerful's hands <laughs> uh but also sometimes get rid of up. history also sometimes get rid of history yeah and then i would just invite like tons of people to parties all the time and not just parties <laughs> like big blowout parties but also just like soirees and little get-togethers you can just come over for whatever because it's a huge place and anyone it's uh, a huge island of trash floating in the middle of the ocean that's also versailles yes but like oh we have terraformed the trash oh yeah no it's it's not bad trash no it 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 now has had like stuff put on top of it i i think we we can safely establish between us sometimes there's good trash sometimes there is good trash you know what isn't trash, but some people, but some people think is trash, though. Is it a 
Is it a smooth transition to our movie this week? Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's the 1996 film Tank Girl. Tank Girl. Wow. All right, so, Hayden, before I go into, like, I, I don't think we'll do an entire plot synopsis. Also, the plot's very, very straightforward <laughs> compared to the convoluted nature of Van Helsing, surprisingly. Yeah, I think we can probably uh, get the, the big beats out of this a lot quicker than we did there. Here, I will... I will do it right now. Okay. Tank Girl is a story of Rebecca, who's also called Tank Girl later in the movie. Uh, she lives with a bunch of people in the apocalypse, which happened in the early 2010s uh, because a comet hit Earth. Uh, now there's no water, except there. There's no water except from like the water company because they hold all the power. Of course. This is big, bad. This is big, bad, post-apoc cyberpunk bullshit, and I love it. Uh, so. Oh, and 2022 is when the comet hits, so we, there we still go. have time. Great, cool. Let's try that again. So, Tank Girl is the story of Rebecca, who is later called Tank Girl in the movie. Uh, she lives with a bunch of cool artists and burnouts and general ne'er-do-wells in the post-apocalyptic wasteland of 2033 after a comet hit Earth in 2022. Yes. Uh when found stealing water from Water and Power, the big bad, uh, most of her compatriots are gunned down. But uh, like a little girl that I don't know if they're actually related or not. I think in the comics they might be. I've not read the comics. It doesn't really matter. She is doesn't particularly she is a matter member of her family in the sense that this commune uh-huh. is her family. Yes. Uh, so Rebecca decides that she is going to get her her friend back. And along the way, she gets imprisoned, breaks out with the help of uh, Naomi Watts <laughs> uh, as Jet Girl. Uh, and now they have a tank and a jet. And we'll, we will talk about the tank and the jet in a second. Uh, they then try to storm Water and Power, where Malcolm McDowell plays the most villainy villain that ever has villained. <laughs> the man pulls water out of people. Like they, he extracts their blood and then pulls water well, out of the blood. Uh, so I, I, let me, let me, let me, let, I'm just gonna finish this real fast. Okay. <laughs> In a double cross, uh, Tank Girl is sent to try to expose the the Rippers, who are a bunch of mutant kangaroo super soldiers. One of which is played by Ice T, uh, and one of which becomes her boyfriend. Uh, but they negotiate. A deal together and they all take on water and power and they get everyone back and Malcolm McDowell is dead. The end. The end. Yay. <laughs> that is that is effectively it. So hey um, yes. having never seen this film before, I just want some of your thoughts. This is a wild film. And what I like about this film is that it does not operate on traditional logic, but it also doesn't operate on film logic. It just sort of, it sort of does things and then dares you to say that's not what should happen. But it it's very much, I don't want to say it makes up its own rules as it goes along, because there are things that it establishes and those subsequently matter but it follows its own rules but yes it sets those rules and follows them but it follows its own rules yeah 
what I what I really liked about this, um, I mean, I really did enjoy that it wasn't afraid to do that. It was it was Bizarro, which is a, a genre uh, we haven't talked about at length on this podcast, but is one of my favorites. And it really reminded me of the short story uh, Punkupines of the Apocalypse. Great name. It's a fantastic name. I, I got it in an anthology, and it's a story about these, like, this group of, like, punks who grew up in a punk society. And it's really funny to see, like, the vision of a punk society. We're, we're not talking about the, the story at length here, but it's really funny to see this vision of, like, a punk society without anything specific that they're rebelling against. <laughs> But also, towards the middle of the story, and this becomes the sort of driving instant, robot Ronald Reagan comes in and tries to steal all of their uh, water. Sure. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and sounds that sounds about right. And and then they go and they um I think decapitate him. Um. That's how you defeat and, a president. Yeah. That's how you defeat a president, is by decapitation. Yeah, they're Highlanders. They're, it's by Highlander rules. I cannot... I cannot emphasize enough how much of this is humor, just because... <laughs> I work a job that requires a security clearance. But yeah, it's... It's a wild... Wild thing. Uh, and this... This reminds me a lot of it because the sort of the idea that a meteor hit and okay, there's just no water anymore, just no water, except for what is owned by water and power. It makes sense in a very like pointed way of the story it's trying to tell, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't make real world sense. (laughs) Uh... Because this is a story about like breaking down power structures and like. It's also an incredibly straightforward feminist story. Oh, absolutely. Like, very much the women are in control of the situation and themselves. And other than one... The villains are the people who are trying to take that control away. Exactly. Arguably, there's one of the Rippers who, like, kind of unfortunately defeats the purpose a little bit. But other than that... A lot of it is about women directly staring down, like, sexual assault and and reacting to it and uh, fighting it effectively. Like just and murdering anyone it. who tries to do that to them. Yes. Yeah, the Rippers... I mean, this is, this is a movie from the, the mid-90s, but the Rippers don't age super great. No, most of them are fine. It's really just, it's the dude that's like the sex horny jock. Yeah, the sex horny jock, and then also, um, I mean, I guess, I guess he is played by uh, a black man, but the uh, the Ripper that Ice T plays, yes, they like they 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 play up the fact that they have Ice T playing a Ripper. Yeah. Like, in the way of they ask him to do his persona at, like, 11. Uh, and it, it's a little dicey. It, 
in fairness, though, they also have a Ripper who's, like, the the poetic musician, like, hipster dude. Yes. Not quite hipster, but... And he is also playing up to 11. And then I think the last, the last Ripper that we actually meet is literally just, like... Booga! A dog. <laughs> He's, he was yeah, a he dog w- who was doing so well that they upgraded him to the human team. Sort um, of. Yeah, sort of. Uh, I that's the joke from the movie. He says sort of, um, <laughs> but I also love that Booga gets to be the love interest. Like he's the doofiest. He is and, the and sweetest among them. He is the sweetest, the straight up sweetest. But okay, so I want to loop back on a couple things. First off, I want to talk about Malcolm McDowell as the villain. Yes, he is. Malcolm Mad- Malcolm McDowell plays an excellent villain. Oh, and yes, he is acting his heart out with this role. And the the fact that this world works on internal logic and not real world logic also gives him a lot of room to be extra villainous. I would say that the closest thing you can think of for both him and Tank Girl is they both work on a certain level of cartoon logic. Yes, very true. Uh, where if you can do it because it's a cool thing that, that person would do, then it's just fine. Like it's it's kind of who framed Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. I mean like Tank logos. Girl basically has hammer space. Uh <laughs> like she pulls out outfits and pulls out items from wherever because it's it's the thing that she would have because she's always it's, prepared. It's and, timely and convenient, and it moves the story along. Exactly. It has a Bugs Bunny air of, like, he just pulls it out of, like, the inside of his fur or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, Malcolm McDowell is every cartoon villain, and it's... Like, if you combined every Captain Planet villain and a couple of Disney villains, <laughs> you'd you start getting close. Remember, he runs Water and Power, and you want to know that he is rich. Like they want to make, sh- they want so, to make sure you know that he is rich and he has all the power. So, I want to talk about this. <laughs> anything that can be water is water to a point of excess. Uh, he has the door into his like layer is a water curtain that he waves at. He waves at the water curtain to to open it and close it. Like just like. Eh move this is an entire world uh, a post-apocalypse that is in drought for over a decade and one of my favorite scenes is uh someone comes in to give him a status update on something (laughs) and he is just he is just lounging back in a chair and he has just a very tiny water pistol and he's just shooting it he's just like occasionally just like holds it up sprays water and it's it's not even like a mist gun or anything. It's not even a humidifier. He's just doing it to show off that he has water. It's fantastic. He also does it later with a little mister. Mm. Like one of those things that um, basically one of those little bottles that Dorothy uses on the Tin Man effectively. Yeah. He's just like spraying water out. I mean, at one point we go to a sex club and casino that is water themed 
Where yes, we, it's, where it's your we traditional a... playground of the like the rich and those who live in excess and there's waitresses and skimpy skimpy dresses walking around and they're carrying like they look like martini glasses but they're just filled with normal water yes everything that is fancy is water which also is a really great way to make this movie on the cheap the thing i love about this film is so much of this is not just what the comic was, because this is from the comic, but also, like, <laughs> like it's so aggressively this is really good for film because we don't have to spend a lot of money on props. <laughs> like, water is one of the main things. Just water. Just water. Just water. <laughs> and also lots of desert space. Yeah, they um, they Which, had about three sets in this, and one of them was fifteen different scenes in the desert. Yeah, and I mean, like, and the thing too is, then when they actually have a set piece, it feels like a set piece. So I'm not sure how many of the set pieces are ripped from the comics or not, but the visual choice of having the rippers in a bowling alley. <laughs> is just it's just interesting. Like their holding room is just covered in bowling balls. And it's just like why? Because because that's where they stored all the bowling balls, I guess. <laughs> uh and they just have a table on the lanes and you see them navigate this space without acknowledging what space it is, which is a really interesting thing about the apocalypse is redefining spaces. Yes. You know, we see this now with thinking about, like, dead malls and, and the idea of malls sort of being, like, modern-day ruins and thinking them in, thinking of them in this very different space, but then also thinking of people who have retrofitted malls into different things. Uh, but, you know, it's just, it is interesting to see the stuff in this movie that feels reclaimed and reclaimed in, in, in a way that it is not an accident that the rippers this this great rebellious group are in a space that is very masculine by its idea and thusly very patriarchal because like bowling alleys especially this one had a very 1950s feel to it has a very sort of like the guys in their bowling league vibe <laughs> uh that's all yeah, but anyway, no. Malcolm McDowell and his fucking villainy, like masterclass. <laughs> yes, I, I, I. He gets a great defining character moment, mm -hmm. um, wherein you you see him. He's talking about the the commune where Tank Girl and her friends were set up, yes. um, because they are set up near the last well that isn't owned by Water and Power, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he's just congratulating this guy, uh, and there's there's big cheers. It's this whole boardroom scene, which helps establish that like the enemy is a corporation. Cool theme. Dig this theme. <laughs> he he goes through this whole bit uh, after congratulating this guy. Everyone's drinking water. It's a big party, and then he's like, "Except there's this one thing you didn't succeed at," and he. Uh, indicates the well that this dude hasn't been able to 
to kick this commune out of. And he, like, smashes all of these displays of different maps of their territory. Mm -hmm. And then he makes the man take off his boots and walk across the glass to him. (laughs) And as soon as the dude gets over there, he's like, what are you doing? Right, I would he, never walk across glass like that. What are you, an idiot? <laughs> Which is... <laughs> it's so lovely. It, it's so catty. It's so needlessly snarky and needlessly mean, which is not cool. But he, Malcolm McDowell plays that with such a weird glee <laughs> that I get, like, secondhand excitement out of it. He's not charming and he's not charismatic but he's also having so much fun at all times that it's difficult to hate him unless he's directly across from someone you genuinely care a lot about already Mm -hmm. right like when he's when he like kills another shitty corporate dude like i don't feel too mad about that compared to when you know he causes the death of a character that we like yes um but you know that's a good villain i guess in the sense that when he needs to be villainous against our characters he is right uh and but and like, it's not that he's changing anything to be villainous to our characters it's just that it's happening to our characters now right and speaking of our characters so let's yes. talk about the other very important thing which is that tank girl doesn't just get a tank tank girl gets a pet tank yeah, she. Um... So her friend, who is played by Naomi Watts and is Jet Girl because she steals a jet, yes, uh, is a tinker. Like she fixes stuff in like the the labor camp, and yeah, so she and hot, she basically hotwires a tank and a jet. Um, and early on in this film, I I, I want to point out like this establishing bit of their relationship, um, especially because this is a podcast about queer things, and this is a very queer moment. Yes. Uh, Jet Girl is being harassed by this one dude who's making her fix all the stuff. Um, And Tank Girl sees this happening. She's just been captured. And she goes up and she just like lays one on Jet Girl. She just like kisses her full on the mouth for like five full seconds. And then turns to the dude who was harassing her and is like, Hey, get away from my girlfriend. (laughs) Which... Which also says so much about Tank Girl. Like, she just has that, oh, I have an idea. I'm going to go for it. Yeah, Tank Girl's all impulse. And there is something very nice about that. And, like, look, I'm not saying that forcing a kiss on someone is nice. But, like, it was done specifically to get Jet Girl out of a very bad situation. And immediately it ends as soon as he walks away. Yeah. Um, she continues flirting with her afterwards. Oh, yeah. Tank Girl is pansexual as fuck. She flirts with everyone. Oh, I every single character. <laughs> I mean, it, it, in the way, in a way that doesn't always feel like it's. She's flirting in a way where she's just interested in people and interested in stories. She's some of her best interactions are between her and Malcolm McDowell. Yes, because they're both. They're both so extra all the time, mm-hmm. and like you said, they both work on comic book logic or cartoon logic. Yes. Uh, and so when they they run into each other, uh, you can tell he sort of, like, gets frustrated that he's not able to break her down so easily. But he's also, like, secretly a little giddy about it. 
Like, he was disappointed that that man was willing to walk across glass for him. Here's someone who would never in a million years do that. And yes. he likes that about her. Yes. Which makes him even creepier. It makes him an even oh, better yes. villain. Well, it makes him an even better villain for that. Because he decides to toy with her, which is a very, like, the fact that she gets a one-up on him. Because, of course, any man who toys with a woman usually wants her to break at some point. Right? Yes. So, like, the longer she holds out, when she finally breaks, he'll be like, yes. Uh, and even, then she doesn't even has a line like I'll I'll have fun breaking you or something to that effect. Oh yeah, which um, is not a terribly original line, but it it certainly embodies this character. Mm-hmm. But then like Tank Girl refuses to, and I think that there is a really great message along with the feminist message and everything else that is just about the fact that even in the worst situations, like facing everything with a certain sense of joy and a certain sense of excitement helps a lot like Mm -hmm. even even in the face of the apocalypse this movie refuses to be dour it refuses to be sad like it does not posit that people won't survive it's just a new dynamic and there's something wrong with the dynamic and tank girl helps to fix that well it doesn't even it's not even that people will survive it it posits that People will live. Yes. People will continue to have relationships and find joy and face challenges, but overcome those challenges. Just because the world has ended doesn't mean that we do mm-hmm. uh, in any traditional sense. Oh, in anything yeah. that makes us human. I and I think that's such a it's such an underexplored genre of uh, post-apoc, specifically in movies. So many post-apoc stories are bleak. They're children of men or the road or whatever. And there is something... It's not that it's like, oh, the po- the apocalypse is going to be fun. It's, it's just this idea of, like, it doesn't have to be the end of all things. It's just the end of what we know. It, it says... It's trying to say something about human nature and... There's, there's an aspect of human nature that we sometimes forget is that we do have capacity to find joy even in the most challenging of situations. Mm-hmm. I mean... I, I perhaps would not do it as thoroughly and consistently <laughs> as Tank Girl, but she right. is a special human being. Right. Uh, I mean, look, she's the kind of person that gets an entire water sex club to sing a Cole Porter song. Let's do it. <laughs> like a full rendition of Let's Do It by Cole Porter. Uh, she's the it's... person who not only, when we say she has a pet tank, she can whistle and it will follow her. And it's not established that this tank has like a personality or an AI. It just does for her. Yes. Uh, and that's... It's fine because it, it, it establishes that that's perfectly valid within the world. No one questions yes. it. The fact that no one looks at it and goes, that's weird, is fine. Uh, it's it's a great storytelling device, quite honestly, is to just put something in your story and have everyone treat it like it's normal. Because usually your audience will also treat it like it's normal as long as you don't obfuscate it too much. Like yeah, you can't think... You can't do it with a very like technical piece of science, but like... If you just say that this group of people 
uses this language for this thing, you'll get it. It's how Mad Max Fury Road did it. If this were a more hard sci-fi type movie or, or story where they had taken time to be like, yes, here is how the flight systems on these things that don't exist in the like contemporary worlds work. Here is, we have these th- this thing that sucks the water out of people. Let me explain to you in depth how it works. Because they have that technology, but they mm-hmm. never really explain it in Tank Girl. They just use it and show to you that it exists. Right. And it's it, the same thing they do with her relationship to the tank. Absolutely. It's, it's like, we see that blood to water machine. First off, it is like a, a breast pump bottle with some, with some needles on it. I love it. It's the simplest. It, it, I think the fact that it is such a simple prop does wonders for it because there's no you look at it and you're like well that's gonna suck something out of someone <laughs> like even it before you know like it's gonna a be shoved, giant plug it does even before you know it's gonna be shoved into someone you're like that's gonna suck something out of something and it does <laughs> and it and you see the the blood come up and then the water comes out of the blood and it's and, and the little plastic thing just like pops open and gets larger so like just the fact that it's so clear what it is, it doesn't need to be explained because eh, it's the future. Someone figured it out, whatever (laughs) we don't. I think that's a, I, I really like this movie because I get so turned off by the kinds of sci-fi that have to explain everything. Like in the sense of, I do not need a detailed account of how your teleporter system works. I just don't care. Right. It doesn't help with the story. If it is, in fact, a key part of the story, then that's fine. But if it's just right. like, here's our very specific science, I'm like, put that in an addendum. It's it's fine. I tend to agree that, um, like, I do like getting into sort of the nuts and bolts of how stuff works in sci-fi. I do find that fascinating. But there's a time and a place for it for sure. Yeah. And I, so I, I like games where it isn't ever explicitly spelled out how you can do something, but there's a codex of all of the interesting stuff because I just, you also don't need that to get in the way of the story. And here they're very much about the story and very much about the themes. Yes. Um, over any kind of uh, technical explanation that would just get in the way of it and just draw things out. It, it it just it is a movie that loves being exactly what it is. Uh and the director, Rachel Tellelay, it is <laughs> it is not surprising that she in the past worked with John Waters on a couple of his movies, uh, which can really you can really see in her in how much she loves just like playing with the aesthetic of the film she is making. And, I mean, like, she's also someone who went on to direct many episodes of uh, the revival of Doctor Who, so she's no stranger to doing weird things. Yeah, uh, one thing that this movie does that's also really cool, just as an aesthetic thing, and we won't spend too long on this, Mm -hmm. is it likes to pull actual pages from the comic. Yes. Or, I haven't actually read the comic, so some of it might be original art. It looks like it does switch between a few art styles. Mm -hmm. But it likes to insert that into the middle of the movie to sort of let you know that this 
this is a comical place. Yes. Uh, heck, there are even entire sequences that are fully animated. Yeah, and it's also stuff like maybe they didn't have the budget for it, but also it's a really cool way to bask in the bizarro nature of this film, too. Exactly. Um, so, yes. So, is, is there anything else you really wanted to touch on here? We've covered a lot, but there's I mean, plenty I... more probably. The last thing I will say, and this is very short, you don't even have to have like a rebuttal to this. When I was really young, when I was like in my like, like I think I was even before I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. uh, Comedy Central used to show this movie a lot. Uh, and it was like the edited for TV movie, but I definitely watched it a bit younger than I should have, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, and I also, yeah. I cannot believe, like I there is no version of the universe where the Rippers, who are mutant kangaroos, <laughs> didn't affect me in some way, shape, or form into falling into furry. Oh, yeah. We got to that moment in the film, and I was like, I see... Sorry. No, they're just like... I see it... why Lou wanted to watch this. That's not the only reason, but it is a, it is a reason. And, you know, for being 1990s real effects pretty attractive some of them at least <laughs> well didn't didn't quite do it for me but that, that's fine yeah you don't have to have my tastes <laughs> certainly certainly this podcast is sometimes the joy about us talking about our different tastes and things yes um but to that end yes well let's go on to the next thing maybe maybe more my taste i don't know we'll see um but i did notice during the course of this movie that uh the way the way tank girl treats her tank is kind of like a pet but also i really noticed in sort of the 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 final fight Mm -hmm. she is she is in the tank and it's not succeeding in killing malcolm mcdowell and so she's like she's doing the thing which she's done partially throughout it is like she'll like kick it and berate it and like be mean to it until mm-hmm. it does what she wants. Yes. So I really this was this was the exact moment in the film. I remember I turned and I looked at you and I was like, "Oh, it's not her pet. It's her sub." <laughs> True. And so my question for you yes. is which piece of military hardware would be your sub? If you had your choice. Hmm. Hmm. Um. <laughs> have I have I truly stumped you with this one? No, I'm just. Do, do Do you want me to tell you the correct choice? Is it NORAD? The. <laughs> the obvious choice. Is that it would be a submarine. No, that's just, that's not the obvious choice. First off, I, I don't, like, I like water. That's still a lot of water to be near at all times. Um, but you got to do it for the pun. No, I don't. I have. You're killing me. <laughs> I can do many things with the pun, but I just don't know if I would want a submarine. <laughs> I do think, I do think it'd be kind of cool. Um. Want like a... there, there is the worry of it being claustrophobic. Don't get me wrong. I can I can see that argument as well. Yes. 
Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like I would pick, I don't know, just like a big Humvee. <laughs> I know that seems normal, but I, I'm going to, like, trick it out. And it would just be, like, nice to have an all-terrain vehicle. Oh, Whoa, a duck the... boat. <laughs> they, start, they started as military uh, military things. So, like, I want a duck boat. Yeah, I'll give you that. A duck boat is great. And, I mean, obviously, anything we're talking about here would be tricked out, like, Oh yeah! Tank. Absolutely. And, and jet girls, jet. Oh, the designs on those were so great. If I had a duck boat that was my sub that I could like whistle or whatever for, it, <laughs> if you do not think I would get someone who is very good at like nineteen seventies van art to do a massive scene across it, you have another thing coming. It oh. will be airbrushed the fuck out. There will be yes. wizards and dragons. And uh, scantily clad men. <laughs> that sounds perfect. I would. I'd ride in your duck boat. Is that a euphemism? Maybe. I'd ride in your <laughs> duck boat. Yikes. Uh. All right. Well, get us out of this hellhole that I have put us in uh, by talking about another movie. Yes. Yeah, so. Um... So this is not super related to Tank Girl, but I did want to bring it up uh, because um, it's not quite weird news and it's not quite I have some notes, but it's a bit of an amalgamation of those two. This is um, inspired by the fact that last week I, uh, I saw an article about a mission to Europa, which is one of the moons of Jupiter, and it really reminded me of Europa Report which is a movie from i believe the the mid tw- the early 2010s i somewhere around there i watched it like a couple years ago so i'm vaguely familiar with it mm. um but yeah somewhere around there somewhere around the 2010s yeah uh, the the release isn't terribly important the re- release date rather um but i just i remember finding this to be a very good movie Despite the fact that it's not it's not a very traditional kind of sci-fi movie, it's one of these movies that takes place like five minutes in the future, and it's about a group of scientists who are on a manned mission to Europa. And they're doing this because a satellite has discovered possible trace elements of certain gases that might imply there are living creatures. Or not living creatures, but like... Something alive. Microscopic life on this moon, which would be incredible because humanity has not found life on other planets before. Mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of a slow moving uh, sci-fi movie because there's not. It is. So if I may interject for a second from what I remember, as much as it is about that, it is as much about the personality of the people that would take a trip across the solar system uh yeah it's it's a character study as much as it is this like question about finding life in the universe and i i found that to be really interesting yes sort of the easiest comparison to it is actually i think natural disaster movies yeah because those follow sort of the same formula of a team of scientists uh going to do a thing 
in the case of natural disaster movies, it's usually stop the disaster. And they sort of fall off one by one as problems happen with the mission. Yes. And Europa Report sort of follows that same formula. Um, the first person they lose gets sort of sucked out into space while performing a repair on the ship. Mm-hmm. And they have another one later on who who dies um, from falling through the ice on the planet. And it's it's this dwindling cast that is fairly familiar. But it's also it's also in a way that those other movies aren't sort of about the beauty and necessity of science. Because unlike a disaster movie, these people all had a choice. They aren't coming here to save the world or stop a disaster. They're coming here for science. Mm-hmm. And there's one line that really sort of encapsulates the entire movie for me. Um, I don't have the exact quote here, but it's something to the effect of uh, uh, the group is all arguing about who's going to go out on the ice uh, and collect samples because something has gone wrong again and they've lost their only drone who could do it. So somebody has to put on a spacesuit and basically risk their lives to for the fate of science. Mm-hmm. And it's also told sort of documentary style. So you see these clips and then it cuts to someone talking about what's happened and it cuts to the woman who's been sort of narrating most of these clips and she says uh katya made our um made our insignificance in the face of the cosmos seem like a call to action or seem like a call to arms and what can i say she was right she's still right and, like, when you jump forward, the, this woman is saying this about her teammate after many more things have gone wrong. But the entire movie sort of hinges on this theme of this this exploration, this going out and discovering things is worthwhile. And making personal sacrifice um, for the sake of knowledge, for the sake of learning for other people even, is still important. And I really adore that theme. That's a theme that I don't think comes through quite so neatly and quite so generously in a lot of science fiction movies. No, where science quite is often, also kind of the problem. Right. Quite often, science fiction tends to posit the idea. A lot of science fiction tends to posit the idea of technology bad, though, which is not inherently a bad critique, but it's always very. Like, I'd never find it to be a very interesting take on it for the most part and so to have or like not science bad but you know science technology kind of close uh but to but to science is off sci-fi is often warning us about the potential dangers of specific kinds of science and that's a fair critique to make a lot of the time it is but much like much like tank girl is a movie about being positive even in the worst situations uh Europa Report gets at some idea of like sometimes doing something that is altruistic is good. <laughs> yeah. I just I really adore this movie. I don't rewatch a lot of films, but I've I've seen this one three times in the past couple of years, three or four. Cool. And yeah, Europa Report is not the most exciting 
explosions, cool alien sci-fi movie you'll ever find. But I think it's a beautifully shot movie with wonderful characters and a theme that really landed for me. So I highly recommend it. Fantastic. Do you know where people can watch it? Uh, it was on Netflix until recently. When I tried to look it up just last week, though, it was not there. Hmm. Um, unfortunate. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's going to come back around. Netflix likes to cycle their queue every now and then. Which um, sucks. So, yeah. Man. Not owning our but, own physical medium version. Not owning our own things sure is fun, isn't it, Hayden? Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I still buy as much physical shit as I can. <laughs> unreasonable, though, it may be. It's not unreasonable. Just, we should just be able to own our digital shit, too. That's that's the other thing I want in my uh, villain lair is a library. Well, yeah. Even though I just said no flammable shit, but the, the, put them all on put them all on something else. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta have a good library in your villain lair. You do. It's just responsible. Just like don't have any fire near there. How how else is the hero going to find a secret MacGuffin? hidden away that will defeat you i mean I they better not i told them to put the MacGuffins away <laughs> henchman you told the hero to put them no the henchman away? no lou that that was your first mistake no i f- i follow good henchman rules <laughs> so yeah i think that's that's it for tank girl and your roper report yeah hint nudge Oh, right. <laughs> hey, Hayden. Calm down. It was two <laughs> seconds. Holy shit. <laughs> Sorry. This this is this is what I'm like after working a full full day instead of having our usual fresh morning record. Sure. Mm. Anyway. Much hey Hayden. I apologize. Hey Lou. <laughs> hey Hayden. What's next on the gay agenda? Well, next week on the gay agenda, I would like to look at the the movie Megamind. Oh yeah, I hear things about this movie. Yes, it's um I like to think it's a pretty good movie. It's I think it got uh underrated in a lot of senses, and I have some theories about why. They're not terribly unique ones. I will say partly it's probably just because like DreamWorks doesn't have a very good like track record for movies that are worth a damn and so when they make one that's worth a damn people don't pay attention as much i i think there was marketing i think it also came out around the same time as despicable me which Uh, is i don't think quite as good but did get like three sequels and a spinoff so who who did that one then who who did one second what uh yeah what company did despicable me Hmm? DreamWorks did make a mind. Yes. Because it has DreamWorks face. That helps. Universal did Despicable Me. Ah, there we are. Produced by Illumination. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, it was definitely, like, 
it got sucked into the realm of other CG movies of the time. But from what I know about it, it's actually pretty thoughtful. I'd say it's more relevant now than when it was released. You don't say. In in some interesting ways, but we'll get into that. Um... So, if you want to reach us, uh, you can find the podcast at IODM Podcast on Twitter. Or I only date monsters at monsterpit.net on Mastodon. You can also find me, Lunastopheles, at both Twitter and Online on Mastodon. Uh, and Hayden takes care of our email. Yes. Um, you can email us at I only date monsters at G or yep. yes. I only date monsters at gmail.com. Or you can find me uh, in my villain lair, Deep Underground behind several traps you said it had two hallways i didn't say they weren't trap filled hallways seems dangerous look just knock first i'll 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 deactivate them for you i will i will knock and i will make sure to say the secret passcode yes and and what is that secret passcode you know um it's a. Uh... sham elves for my real friends and real elves for my sham friends what (laughs) good night okay do we do we want the real elves Working on cross stitching some Bi Fi. Ooh, what's Bi Fi? It's just a Wi Fi signal, but it's in the Bi Flag colors. <laughs>